0: showtime sports presents showtime
1: boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney hello and welcome to another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney with my co-host eric raskin i am kieran mulvaney and eric i am simultaneously a very clever and very stupid boy Uh, (laughs) on our friday podcast when we made our official picks for saturday night's card I said that I thought Canelo would, you know, maybe start a bit slowly against Caleb Plant, take over by midpoint, and stop him late. I asked myself what round he would stop him in. And my answer was the 11th. But I didn't like that answer because (laughs) he'd stopped Sergei Kovalev in the 11th. And I started to outthink myself and think, he will do it in the 10th instead. Stupid boy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> stupid, stupid boy. <laughs> but also clever boy. But, but also mo- clever boy. But mostly but stupid, then stupid boy. boy. <laughs>
0: yes. Well, look, I'm I'm glad you talked yourself out of it, or or else I'd be in a deep hole right now uh, yeah. in our picks competition. But uh, yeah, I, the uh, I want to pick something different approach. That, that's never a good reason. You got to stick with what your gut is telling you. Um, although I mostly went with my gut on real life bets, and uh, and it didn't work out so well. Uh, as we discussed on the Money Punch Pod toward the end of the week. Uh, I had a parlay that was ending with Canelo plant going the distance. I also had a smaller bet at a different site on it going the distance when the odds went up a little on that. Plus, I had a Canelo by decision bet. All told, I was going to be able to host a pretty damn big pizza party <laughs> if Canelo by 12 round decision was the final result. Now, I did hedge a little um that you know, speaking of trusting your gut as the fight neared, my gut was starting to tell me maybe Canelo KO was more likely than Canelo decision after all and one of the sports books put out a special odds boost on Canelo by KO between rounds 7 and 12. They made that +210 hmm. when it was supposed to be +155. And I didn't think there was much of a chance of, of Plant getting stopped in the first six rounds. So I, I figured it made sense to put a couple of pizzas on that. So so I ended up in a place where I ultimately only lost a, a little bit of money on this whole thing. Uh, but still, I was six minutes away from a big pizza party. I would have invited you, Karen, uh, but
1: it, it just wasn't to be. Would that have been a... Big party involving pizza, or a party <laughs> with a very big pizza, with one gigantic pizza. With the parlay, I mean, it <laughs> could have been whatever you wanted, right?
0: Right, I suppose so. Uh, yeah, I'm now. Now I'm like picturing how do I slice up this giant pizza? <laughs> what Boy, do you I do? It's
1: a bullet come to think of it.
0: I, I really did, unless it's one of those like square pies or rectangle pies. Those are easy to cut, regardless of that. But a big circular one, you're you're just asking for trouble with a gigantic pizza.
1: Right, then you got to spend money maybe on like a larger pizza slice than you already yeah mm-hmm. i mean honestly you're and what you're kind better of off.
0: what kind of table or tray am i putting it on <laughs> exactly
1: you're, you're just better and then you gotta have people in your house so honestly right, there's you, that too. it all worked out
0: it did thank you canelo for stopping caleb plan.
1: <laughs> all right coming up uh, we will preview the latest installment of a busy season on Showtime as David Benavides faces Kyron Davis on Showtime Championship Boxing next week. Uh, we'll look at the week's news, including Raleigh Romero being withdrawn from his matchup with Javante Davis and replaced with Isok Cruz. Eric will set me a new top five challenge, but... All of that comes later. There's no question, of course, about the main event uh, of the day. As on Saturday night at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, as we have just basically spoiled, uh, (laughs) Canelo Alvarez unified all the super middleweight straps with an 11th round stoppage of a very game, Caleb Plant. Yeah, Canelo Alvarez,
0: undisputed biggest star in boxing. You could close your eyes and listen to that crowd at the MGM and you'd know that. Uh, Pretty much undisputed pound for pound king at this point. And now, as you said, undisputed super middleweight champion. We hate belts, but we love it when all the belts come together and allow you to ignore the individual belts and just call one guy champ, and that's what we have now. Uh, Caleb Plant came out looking to jab and box. Canelo took his time and applied pressure, and through 10 rounds, the story of the fight was Canelo is winning, but not exactly dazzling anybody, and Plant, well, he's staying out of trouble. He's surviving. The score's after 10. 98-92 from Steve Weisfeld and unofficial scorer Steve Farhood, all the Steves. Uh, And and that's how I had it. I actually had the exact same round by round as Weisfeld, giving Plant just rounds one and nine. Uh, Dave Moretti, 97-93. Patricia Morse Jarman, 96-94. Then in the 11th, Canelo hurt Plant just seconds into the round with a hook dropped him with a right hand and a left as he was bent over. Plant got up unsteady, and Canelo finished him with a big right hand as he was bent over along the ropes at the time, 105 of the round. And there was a lot of time left on the clock, which is why I personally don't mind referee Russell Mora not counting Plant was done. Uh, he's now 21-1. Yes. and 1. Uh, Canelo is 57-1-2 and 2, with 39 knockouts. Karen, what stood out to you about Canelo in this fight? What impressed you most about his
1: performance? I think what impressed me the most was how swiftly he took control of this fight. Um, you know, even if he was losing some battles early on in the sense that maybe he was dropping a round or two early, I had a very slightly different scorecard from you, isn't that? I also gave Caleb Plant round three. Okay. Um, but otherwise, the same as you. Um, but Canelo had already ensured really by the second round that the fight was being fought at the distance he wanted in fact actually even in the later part of the first round i made a note that that about canelo in the distance like he'd already moved in um and 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 it was really already being fought in his territory um he was already from the second round on landing what after listening to my keys to victory on Friday, he decided was his most important punch, which was the crippling, brutal left hook to the body. Mm. Obviously he needed to listen to that podcast before he <laughs> did that. Yes. Um, and I just noted the the phrase that I used quite early on was Canelo's dialed in. Mm. Um, you know, we talked on Friday that maybe this would be a little bit like the Billy Joe Sanders fight. And, that uh, you know, maybe he'd be behind like four rounds to three or something like that through seven. And it really wasn't. Uh, I, I mean, Caleb plant was, sort of quasi in the fight and certainly fighting as well as he could, I think. But Canelo was dictating the terms from very, very early on. He was closing the distance. He was cutting off the ring. He was forcing plant to work with his back, very close to the ropes or on the ropes or in the corners. Basically, I think what I liked was very little, if anything that Canelo was doing on Saturday night was reactive. Mm. He, he decided on his game plan. He set about executing it and, and plant just couldn't dissuade him from, from doing so. and, there were some folks on my timeline who saw a close fight. There was even one or two who actually had Plant ahead. I don't see how you see that. In fact, um, my buddy Ishay Smith, in the tweet of the week, um, noted in the first round, he said, the best thing that happened to Canelo was losing to Floyd. Look how Canelo is downloading all the information needed in the first round. Plant is in trouble. Yeah, And he yeah. did that in the first round. And I can't disagree with that. Yep. I had that same feeling early on. And even when Plan, you know, was landing that jab and even when he was moving quite well and say rounds three and four, it, there was already that sense of inevitability. And then round six, it felt like everything changed again. Like Canelo spent like the first five rounds. Yeah, he was going about his plan. He was he, he was laying the foundations. He was working to the body. And then it felt in round six as if Canelo was like, that's that work done. I'm I'm ready now. And he just had that looseness, I thought, about him from round six onwards. Mm-hmm. He had that look that I thought he had when he knew he'd broken Billy Joe Saunders' face. And he was like, yeah, I've got this now. And I just thought from his body language. And then he changed his offense. He switched a lot more upstairs as if he felt, I've, I've put in the work into the body now. Now I'm going to start changing, changing it up. Now it's just a matter of time. And really from round six, I thought, yeah, here we go um you know he's ready he's in that sort of final stage and um you know he forced plant to fight and plant you know especially over the last half he was throwing punches he was saying some good accurate jabs with some right hands behind them but he was fighting to survive he was fighting Mm -hmm. to survive for a large part of that fight Uh, if you did have it close or if you had plant winning i think you were watching the wrong fight You were just focusing maybe on punches being thrown and not on what else was happening there. I thought this was a Canelo masterclass, to be perfectly honest with you.
0: Yeah, I I agree completely from the scoring perspective. I do not understand other than if you were just literally counting punches and putting no weight whatsoever into the quality of the punches and how cleanly they were landing. If you were just literally counting punches, you could get to, you know, 95, 95 or something like that. But if you were really paying any attention to the quality of the punches, it was an 8 to 2, 7 to 3 kind of fight through 10. And I guess what stood out to me about Canelo is just that it's really rare and special to see someone like him who can get it done late and has done so enough times in his career that it isn't at all fluky. I mean, he now has on his record a KO-12, four KO-11s, two KO-10s, and four Mm -hmm. KO-9s. But but what stands out, and you kind of touched on this, is that he remains patient calm he yeah. he's never seems to waver in his confidence that he's going to get it done and yeah. he we saw in this fight a lot of he can apply pressure without even throwing punches just by coming forward and uh, the pressure and the body punching just wore plant down and i found it interesting that just when people on twitter were starting to say it wasn't a great Canelo performance, that was when he finished it. People were just starting to think about what critical post-mortems they might offer mm. on this Canelo win that didn't blow them away. And then Canelo was like, nope, you're not going to be able to say a single bad word about me.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I also liked, by the way, talking of bad words, my other favorite thing was post-fight. <laughs> um, the great embrace between the two fighters and the conversation. And the fact that, you know, we've talked before about how Canelo understands English very well. Right. Now he's clearly, you know, comfortable talking but in the immediate post fight wanted to rely on Felix de Jesus. And Felix De Jesus did not want to say motherfucker. <laughs> no, he really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> But, but Canelo wasn't going to say anything else. Canelo, Canelo walked
0: him down and put that pressure on him that's to right, say it. Yeah. That's
1: right. And then? <laughs> uh, all right. So, look, I cheekily mentioned that Canelo had obviously been listening to my keys to victory from Friday, <laughs> as if it wasn't obvious what he was going to try to do. Uh, you also had some keys to victory for Caleb Plant, um, even though he didn't win. How well did he do in following your advice? And, and realistically, was there anything he could have done differently to change the result of this fight? So it's interesting. You and I saw something very similar
0: with the first round of of this fight that, you know, I gave plant the first round you did too. And yet when the round was over, I was pretty much convinced there was no way he could win this fight. He, He just looked uncomfortable. He was very defensive minded. He didn't appear confident. Whenever Canelo took a step forward, plant looked like his first thought was survival, not what offense can I execute now? And I don't say any of this to be critical. Plant did about the best he could as a very good boxer up against an all-time great who's in his prime. Uh, he he more or less followed the plan, and there wasn't much he could have done to win this fight other than okay. suddenly develop a right hand, but <laughs> that's not going to happen. He's really never had a right hand. He wasn't often circling the direction I suggested he circle, but, you know, it's tough. Canelo cuts off the ring. He figures yeah. you out. You need to mix up your approach a little. And Plant did that to an extent. I guess if he had it to do over, you'd tell him to step in more from the start of the fight, trade punches, try to land some good hooks in exchanges and and earn Canelo's respect. And if you get knocked out, you get knocked out. I mean, knowing what we know now, hey, you're going to get knocked out anyway. Um, He landed a decent counter left uppercut in the second round that I noted. Maybe I would have liked To have seen him try that punch again, you know, while keeping his right hand pinned to his cheek, of course, um, because you're leaving yourself open to a counter left hook when you try that. But, um, you know, I mean, if the goal was just to go all 12, not to win, then I guess the big what he could have done differently was to not bend over when hurt. Uh, instead really get on your bike because as we Mm -hmm. saw when he bent over and ducked down that's when Canelo landed all the knockdown punches Um, so for the sake of my pizza party I had to cancel I I guess I would have wanted to see Plant avoid that one mistake but you know Plant was reasonably competitive didn't embarrass himself Uh, you can argue he did better maybe in certain ways than Callum Smith or Billy Joe Saunders did I don't think his stock drops and He's a bigger name now, thanks to this whole promotion. Um, But I also suppose future opponents will see this and not feel at all intimidated by Plant. You know, on a a very big stage, he kind of fought to survive and to keep Canelo off of him. And look, future opponents won't be nearly as good as Canelo, but they might see this and think, Caleb Plant can't hurt me. I'm going to pressure him and he won't have an answer. But, you know, he made a reported $10 million on Saturday night. So uh, no regrets for Caleb Plant, I wouldn't think.
1: No, indeed. Uh, yeah, look, I, I thought he came out with out of it with some credit. Um, the the only thing that Caleb Plant could have done better, essentially to follow on from what you said, is have tools at his disposal that Caleb Plant doesn't, right? Uh, you One thing you did say was he needs to try and get Canelo's respect, maybe sit on some punches early. I thought he might try and you know, sit down on a few early. Mm-hmm. He never did. And and I don't think if he had done, that would have made any difference. Right. You know, if he had sat down on his punches, that would have kept him in one spot for an extra second for Canelo to respond with, with that left hook. Uh, I think it was quite clear really early on. The other thing that really stood out to me with Canelo is, boy, he throws every single punch with bad intentions, man, <laughs> yeah, doesn't he? <laughs> every single one. and 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 I think that's why very early on, you know, even a, a, a good fighter like Caleb Plant was like, God, holy crap, um, you know, I better try and get on my bike here. But as you said, with Canelo cutting off the ring as well as he does, that that's hard to do. I think Caleb Plant comes up with some credit here because I don't think we fully knew, like, with Caleb, it was very much of an eye test, wasn't it? We, we liked what we saw with him. But the quality of his opposition, okay, and Jose Oskategui here, or Caleb Truax there, didn't suggest necessarily world-class fighter. I think this shows that he's competitive with just about everybody who isn't Canelo, you know, at, at 168. And, you know, he's, he's, he's made it into the 11th round against the easy number one pound-for-pound guy and, and you know, fought a good fight. And for the first, gosh... If the rounds were just a minute long, he'd, he'd have been doing great. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah, he probably won the first 30 seconds of every single round would, other I than the 11th.
1: So. Yeah. I would say so. So I think he comes out with this with credit. He's going to be hurting now. And um, literally and figuratively, I was noting early on that, God, can, uh, Caleb's going to be. Pee in blood for a while, some of those body punches. And, and he's going to be hurting because he's a proud man and he obviously really wanted to win. But I think he comes out of this with a lot of credit, to be honest. Yeah,
0: he does. But uh, I think people will be talking quite a bit less about uh, how Caleb Plant comes out of this and what's next for him than they will Canelo and what's next for him. That's where the attention really turns now. Uh, a lot of options. He has all the belts at 168. I doubt he cares enough about keeping all the belts to waste his time with any undeserving mandatories he can fight at 168 175 he can pick whoever he wants who do you want to see him fight next kieran or or who do you think he will fight next
1: well it's interesting you know you talk about those alphabet mandatories and i wonder if this is one situation where if you're a mandatory at, at 168 tough luck because you could see all those alphabet boys couldn't wait to put their strap around him after that fight Mm -hmm. and i don't think any of them want to stop canelo alvarez being their champion right because he won't fight you know dusty trunks or whatever who's somehow become their number one so i think if you're a mandatory at 168 it's not going to mean anything they're going to come up with all kinds of loopholes to stop forcing canelo to face you um so i think if he stays at 168 there are three obvious options to me. One is David Benavides, but we'll talk about him later on. Yeah. Another, of course, is Gennady Golovkin. But as you said last week, I think it was, it's a little sad to see that Gennady has drifted into almost irrelevance, or at least being somewhat forgotten. And, you know, since their second fight, Golovkin's rolled over Steve Rolls, scraped past Sergei Derevyanchenko, and looked solid against Camille Zaramada. In that same period, Canelo's gone 7-0. and He's had mm. as many fights this year as Golovkin's had ...since September 2018, and that includes wins over Daniel Jacobs, Sergei Kovalev, Callum Smith, Billy Joe Saunders, and now Caleb Plant. It feels like he's operating on a different level now, and I'm not sure that there's the money or interest in a rubber match that there once was. If Golovkin blows away Rio Morada later this year, then maybe he's back in the conversation, but otherwise I'm not sure that there is. And the other option that comes to mind at 168 is if Jamal Charlo moves up. Um, I think that would be an interesting one. I I used to think that Charlo would be a nightmare matchup for just about anybody uh, at at 60 and 168. I I still, I don't feel that way quite as strongly now. I think Canelo wins that and possibly uh, moderately comfortably, but I do think it would be a good promotion and and Charlo would be a live dog. If he moves up to light heavyweight, plenty of opportunities. Obviously, the ultimate ideal matchup would be Artur Bedabiev, Mm -hmm. But he's got to get past marcus brown first but the other thing that came to my mind how about an all-mexican light heavyweight clash with Zerdo ramirez hmm. maybe even at the azteca stadium at cinco de mayo or mexican independence day weekend he doesn't have a lot of fellow mexican foes uh, out there that would be an interesting one
0: yeah that's not bad i hadn't thought about that uh not from a perspective of, you know, anybody's going to pick the underdog to win sure. or anything, but it so it kind of reminds me in that regard of the fight people were talking about uh when Canelo was still at 160 uh against Jaime Munguia. That that's like, right. you know, Mexican guy could be a big event even if we don't see any path to victory for for Jaime yeah. Munguia. Um, but other than that, yeah, you named pretty much uh, all the guys that that I would have named. I mean, better Bev is still the fight for the hardcores, yeah. where Canelo could maybe lose, but better Bev needs to do something to to make it financially viable first. Exactly. Um, you know, I think the most marketable event right now is still the third fight with Triple G. If he comes out of the Murata fight looking good, um, other than. Uh, an Andre Ward on retirement um, right. is marketable, but I don't see much sense in discussing that unless Andre himself starts talking about it. Um, but it, it, with Triple G, we've been saying this for a couple of years now that if it's going to happen, it's got to happen next. And and yet we still kind of keep saying that, but the window certainly has to close at some point. I think right. Cinco de Mayo 2022 might be the last opportunity for, for that to make any sense. Um, and I, I guess I should just mention that I'll give a big no thanks on Canelo versus the MMA guy, Usman. Um, Oh, gosh. I I feel uh, okay still about boxing's place in the pecking order when I see UFC folks trying to use Canelo's name to hype their own fights, uh, which was what they were doing with with Usman, but uh, absolutely no interest in uh, any of that nonsense as a boxing fan.
1: Indeed. Um, So, look, I mentioned that Canelo's fought three times this year, uh, an early and easy KO of Afni Yildirim and then KOs of Saunders and Plant. That combination of quantity and quality means he surely has to be a lock for Fighter of the Year right now, doesn't he? Does he have any challenges at all, do you think? I guess I would say it's
0: not quite a closed book, but I have a hard time seeing it ultimately being anyone other than Canelo. I mean, three fights in a single year. Superstars don't do that anymore. Three wins all by KO. The knock would be no A-list opponents. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, two solid B-plus, A-minus types and and one total pushover in Yildirim. Um, He unified a whole division, rose from maybe kind of sort of pound for pound number one to pretty decisively pound Mm -hmm. for pound number one. But the other candidates, I think you have to mention Tyson Fury. Uh, Mm -hmm. Fought only once this year, but great fight. Very good win, more meaningful than any single Canelo win in 2021, but I struggle to put it ahead of Canelo's 3-0 and record. Mm-hmm. The other heavyweight, Alexander Usyk, same deal, fought once this year, huge win, an upset win. Maybe he deserves to rank ahead of Fury, but I can't quite see putting him ahead of Canelo, which leaves one candidate who hasn't even fought in 2021. Do you, do you know who I'm going to say? I don't, actually. Sean Sean Porter. Oh, yeah, it's it's a giant if. (laughs) But if he beats Terrence Crawford in what would be his only fight of the year uh, in in two weeks from now, Sean Porter might well be your 2021 fighter of the year. Uh, But but that's it. Um, You know, Josh Taylor is a fine honorable mention. Uh, The Fulton Figueroa winner could slide into the top Mm -hmm. two or three. But as far as I'm concerned, in terms of people who I could actually vote for at number one, it's Canelo unless Porter wins on November 20th.
1: Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right to me. I mean, Usyk and, and Fury are the, are the obvious other contenders, like you said. Um, you know, Fury maybe is a little bit diminished by the fact that he'd beat his opponent arguably less one-sidedly than he did the last time right. they met. Um, yeah, Usyk obviously coming up from, you know, Cruiserweight uh, to do what he did. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's that combination of quantity... And the quality of the victories, I think, that almost surely... And like you said, the fact that now there's just no debate that Canelo's number one pound for pound, Mm -hmm. and that's a big deal, I think. So as of right now, yeah, I I agree. I think it's got to be Canelo. Okay.
0: Um, Let's talk for just a few minutes about the undercard. Um, Three good wins for the three victorious fighters. It started with prospect Elvis Rodriguez bouncing back from his first defeat by scoring a fifth-round knockout of Juan Pablo Romero in a fun fight. Uh, Then Ray Vargas defeated Leonardo Baez by shutout. Um, I mean, he did lose one round on one card, but let's call it a shutout. Uh, He was looking pretty sharp as he returned from a two-year-plus layoff. And lastly, Anthony Durrell, big uppercut knockout of marcos hernandez 22 seconds into round four Durrell trying to enter the canelo sweepstakes but i think more likely positions himself as a possible caleb plant comeback opponent yeah the win uh karen what stood out to you from these undercard fights
1: you know the thing i like most about the undercard was the fact that i liked the undercard um <laughs> okay <laughs> i have really low expectations going into this right. uh i thought it was going to be a drag And I fully expected all three to go the full 10 rounds that Canelo wouldn't be coming out until midnight 30, you know, on on the East Coast time. But I actually thought the undercard was quite entertaining. You know, Rodriguez and Darrell were those impressive KO wins. And even Ray Vargas was entertaining in his way. Um, But I think if I had to pick one fight in terms of what stood out to me, I will say the opener. I, I said, you know, last week that I was curious to see what Elvis Rodriguez had after his loss to Kenneth Sims Jr. And the only two rounds against Juan Pablo Romero weren't terribly promising. Uh, it looked like he was slipping into those same bad habits uh, that cost him the win against Sims. He was just not active enough. But once he got going, once he got in the groove, uh, he, he really turned it around and and, uh, and, and was was clearly the, the better fighter over those last couple of rounds. And what also stood out to me was how much this win meant to him. Um, he knew that in many ways it seems ridiculous to say this about a guy who is in just his 13th pro fight but he knew that in many ways his career was almost on the line on saturday that you know he desperately needed to win he couldn't allow himself to have two consecutive defeats at this stage of his career everything was riding on it he came through and that sort of release of emotion afterwards um standing there crying with relief as Freddie Roach is cutting off his gloves. Uh, I thought that showed us all what this is about, how much it means to these guys and how when you're coming up, it's ridiculous really in boxing that one loss can put you in such a difficult position, but it can do he, he really needed to come through and he did. And I think probably out of everything, that's, that was what came through to me, uh, stood out to me on the undercard. How about yourself? Well, yeah, that was the, actually the
0: biggest thing for me as well was Elvis Rodriguez crying after the fight. That, that emotion felt very real. And, um, it, that fight proved a perfect way to open the show. That, that's the kind of fun fight you want to kick things off. Uh, I saw the CompuBox stat that one hundred fifty nine of the one hundred sixty nine total combined landed punches were power shots um Hmm. if you could script it you'd start every four fight pay-per-view card with something that plays out similarly to rodriguez romero uh quick comments on the other fights um Hernandez looked a little pudgy to me. Once I saw yes. his body, I wasn't loving your upset pick in that no, one. No, it was like that was my take too, yeah. yeah. But boy, the the uppercut knockouts keep coming and um this might have been a KO of the year contender if Hernandez hadn't gotten up, but he he did get up and so that spoils a little bit aesthetically. And uh Ray Vargas, I don't have a lot to say except this was reasonably non-boring by Ray Vargas standards. Um, he seemed a little more intent on fighting offensively than usual and not trying to ugly it up. Although, maybe he just felt safe against the overmatched Baez. That that could be it. I don't know that we're seeing a whole new Ray Vargas, but uh, I certainly preferred this version of Vargas to previous ones I've seen. Indeed.
1: Um, you just mentioned picks. Uh, we had a mostly successful night between us on Saturday. Um, we both picked uh rodriguez to win by different types of decision uh, so we each got a point uh, picking the right winner but the wrong uh type of victory there in the opener uh, i had val uh um, vargas by unanimous decision you picked a stoppage so i got three points to your one uh you picked anthony Durrell on points whereas as you mentioned i picked marcus Hernandez in the upset so you get one there and i get zero and in the main event as we've discussed, I wimped out on Canelo TKO 11, plumped for TKO 10, whereas you had Canelo on points. So you get one point, whereas I got two and should have had five. <laughs> um, the net result is that I get six points, you get four Our contest is still finally poised, but I do retake the lead. 67 to 65, you have me just where you want me, Eric. (laughs) I
0: sure do. If you were up (laughs) 70 to 65 with the exact round rate, I might not have you where I want you. But two points down, yep, right where I want you.
1: Finally poised. Uh, If you missed the pay-per-view main event on Saturday night, or indeed if you want to watch it again, you can catch it on Showtime at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday as part of a broadcast that includes a live Showtime Championship Boxing doubleheader from the Footprint Center in Phoenix, Arizona, as hometown favorites, the Benavides brothers, share the card. In the main event, younger yet bigger brother David Benavides puts his 24-0 record on the line against fellow super middleweight Kyron Davis, who is 16-2-1 with six KOs. Davis, as we discussed last week, is a late replacement for Jose Uzcategui, who failed a PED test. But this is really all about Benavides, who said in the build-up to Saturday Night's Fight that he, and not Caleb Plant, was the biggest threat to Canelo Alvarez. It's easy to make the case. He's tall, he's strong, 21 of his 24 wins have come by stoppage, he throws a lot of punches, and he has a uniquely challenging style. But there are question marks. He was stripped of an alphabet title in 2018 after testing positive for cocaine, and he lost an alphabet title on the scales in 2020. So Eric does he, in theory, have what it takes to beat Canelo? But will that apparent discipline prevent him from doing so? And in the more immediate future, how do you see Saturday's main event going? Um, so
0: I'll get to the immediate future uh, second. I'll start with the, the bigger picture. If anyone at 168 has what it takes to beat Canelo, it is David Benavides. But I'd still make him a sizable dog. Mm-hmm. Um, might I bet him at plus 400 not sure plus 500 maybe now i think you're talking that's that's about where he is to me but yeah discipline and maturity have clearly been issues for him and we will keep bringing them up until he convinces us not to and and he hasn't done that yet even if maybe behind the scenes he has turned that corner um but benavidez has a lot to offer he's an exceptional body puncher just as good maybe as canelo in that regard he really digs in I wonder if he can fight tall if he had to. We haven't seen him do it much. Uh, He's sort of like a 168 pound Diego Corrales in that regard. Right. Just doesn't have much interest in in keeping the fight on the outside. And I'm not sure he'll feel threatened enough by Kyron Davis to deviate from what he normally does. Uh, Davis is a solid fighter. I like his combination punching, I like his short left hook. He's one of those guys who does everything well, but does nothing spectacularly. The most notable result on his resume is a draw with Anthony Durrell. And uh, Davis's biggest struggles in that fight came when Durrell kept him at distance. So again, will Benavidez try that? My hunch is no. Uh, That's not how Benavidez approaches boxing. Uh, and, And that result against Durrell is an indicator of the talent gap here because Benavidez stopped Durrell in nine rounds two years ago. It's interesting looking at Benavidez's record, as talented as he clearly is, After 24 fights, he still hasn't fought anyone all that notable. I'd say Darrell probably is the best opponent he's beaten. So he still has a lot to prove. Uzkatagi would have been a nice name to add to his resume. Davis less so, unfortunately. But my prediction, uh, well, Benavidez's last three fights, KO-9, KO-10, then KO-11. So Mm -hmm. it's got to be KO-12, right? Nope. I'm going to go the other way. I'll say Benavidez KO8. I'll go on the other side of those three. I, I think Davis uh, maybe pauses in front of him at close range and gets caught with the uppercut, and that's all she wrote. What do you think? What's your pick? <laughs> uh,
1: okay. Um...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what that laugh
1: means. But, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, but like in, in, in the general terms <clears throat> about what Benavidez could potentially do to Can- Canelo, yeah, sometimes I do think that Benavidez could be the most difficult of the potential opponents for Canelo to face. But I've also said... Oh, Callum Smith could be the most difficult opponent for Canelo to face. Or Caleb Plant could be really difficult. And here we are. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, no, you know, what makes Benavidez, you touched on it, or what makes him so dangerous and difficult. You know, he's big, he's tall, he throws those ton of punches once he gets going. And it's really hard to prepare yourself for and defend yourself against somebody that big who keeps throwing that many punches but against that he's not that conventional box of the kind who's traditionally given Canelo problems right he's going to be there in front of him Canelo isn't going to have to look for him uh, you know assuming they they do ever get together and you wonder if that would be the element that would keep him that would bring him crashing down to earth if that fight ever happened but yeah look he's got to get past Kyron Davis first and Davis can fight I think he, he he's going to be the big underdog here Davis and rightly so his resume simply isn't all that impressive Um, he drew with Anthony Durrell, but eh, it wasn't peak Durrell. It was recent vintage Durrell, although recent vintage Durrell is looking a lot better on Sunday morning (laughs) than it was maybe on Saturday morning. Um, he's got a damn good trainer in his corner though. Our buddy, Stephen Breadman Edwards. Right. Um, we know that bread knows his business. We know that he knows how to coach at the same time. No matter how good of a coach you are, there's only so much you can do when the bell rings and the fight begins. And I think the problem for Davis here, I think it's this classic styles make fights problem. Davis looks like he likes to do his best work on the inside. And and maybe relatively early on in the contest, he might be able to do that because Benafides can sometimes take a while to get that motor going, can't he? Um, and, and he might be doing quite well, Davis, after three or four rounds. But I think once Benavidez gets that momentum going and he gets those long arms chuntering and, and he gets those uppercuts going, I think it's going to be awfully tricky for Davis. Um, you know, by that point, Benavidez won't be letting him get inside anymore. Davis is going to start getting walloped with some big punches. And, um, yeah, I got Benavidez breaking him down and stopping him in the eighth round. <laughs> of course that's you all.
0: do. Just that's trying to it. sit on your lead. I, 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 I see what you're up right. to there you go all right the co-main event uh sees the return of david's brother jose moving up to junior middleweight after a three-year absence following his 12th round stoppage loss to welterweight champ terence crawford jose benavidez is 27 and 1 with 18 ko's Uh, at 29 years old kieran has he missed his prime years uh what do you expect from him against 17 and 3 francisco emmanuel torres and what does he need to do from here out to get back into contention at the world title level, particularly with how packed and dangerous the 154-pound division is?
1: About Ten or 11 or so years ago, no matter who you were talking to him about, Freddie Roach would find a way to turn the conversation to Jose Benavides. Mm. Um, he would rave about this kid he had working with him, even when he was still an amateur. Um, he would have him spar with Amir Khan. He would have him spar even with Manny. Um, you know, and and sometimes according to Freddie, he would acquit himself incredibly well on that sparring. He swore that Benavidez was not just going to be a champion, but he was going to be a star. Um, And it's safe to say it hasn't quite worked out like that. Um, His father took the kid away from Freddie not long after he turned pro. And what Jose Jr. said was that, well, you know, there were just so many big stars at wild card. I, I, was worried that Freddie wasn't going to be able to give me enough attention. What Freddie thinks is that Jose senior had to be the guy in charge and he didn't like Freddie being the one in charge, whatever happened, that relationship ended relatively early in Jose's career, whether he would have gone farther or been better. Had he stayed at wild card is, well, we'll never know. Right. But what does appear to have worked against him was moving back to his native Phoenix. Look, he was, you know, he ran with a, with a tough crowd and the wrong crowd uh, for much of his uh, early years in, in Phoenix. And in 2016, he was out walking his dog one morning and he was shot in the leg by an assailant who officially remains unidentified, but who clearly targeted him. He was just 24 then. He was lucky to survive and he was fortunate, frankly, to still be able to box because his leg, especially around his knee, was was shattered by the bullet and part of it is still held together by screws. He said he doubts it will ever be 100%. Um, since that, you know, five, that was five years ago. He's fought just three times since then. An eight-round decision over a guy called Matthew Strode, a first-round stoppage of then undefeated Frank Rojas, and then the loss to Terrence Crawford, who stopped him in the 12th round of a fight that Bud was well on, of course, the went on the scorecards. He's continued to have their leg injuries, and then he also got in trouble with the police again for, for drag racing. Um, Jose Senior's moved the family to Seattle uh, to try to you know, get them all away from kind of temptation and we'll see but you know to go from being a 24 year old rising prospect or even you know a 19 year old amateur being raved about by freddie roach to a 29 year old who's had just one title shot that he lost and had three fights in the last five years clearly you have to feel you know that is like a loss of his prime years Mm -hmm. um but he's still only 29 and obviously uh, he doesn't have that much, you know, ring wear on him because of his absence. Um, we'll see what happens. Sat- uh, next Saturday is the start, and he is facing Francisco Emmanuel Torres. As you mentioned, Torres is 17 and three, but the most important figure is five because that's how many KOs Torres has, and that I think is not accidental. Um, this is an opportunity for Benavides to see what he has and see what he can do without being in very grave danger of taking some punishing artillery. Um, it's awfully difficult to judge what might happen in this fight, let alone how Benavides might do at 154, because he's only fought at 154 once before. Um, we've never seen him like seriously at the weight. We haven't seen him at all since 2018, and we've barely seen him since 2016. My sense is that he's going to be focused and trim and ready for this, but it might take him a little while to be entirely comfortable in the ring again, to get his timing, to get everything working. It just takes a while for all those muscles to start working Naturally, he might find himself thinking a little bit. He might find himself being frustrated uh, initially. But I think they've picked an opponent against whom he can work out those cobwebs for a few rounds and then start to get in the groove. I think by the time he gets his rhythm going, uh, he should end up overpowering Torres. I'm a bit tempted to say it'll be a decision win simply because Benavides has been out so long. But I kind of think that the quality will tell here. And after a slightly awkward start, he'll come through and maybe out of nowhere come up with a stoppage in the ninth.
0: OK, um, I'm looking forward to this act, two of of his career. I mean, let's not forget that Benavidez was less than a minute from lasting the distance against Crawford yep. when he got caught with an uppercut. And uh, your favorite ref, Celestino Ruiz, uh, stopped it <laughs> with uh, with just 20 seconds left. He arguably could have ruled another knockdown and maybe Benavidez makes it to the final bell. Regardless, he came to fight against Crawford. I think he should still be taken seriously. He's a good body puncher and combination puncher like his brother. He's not great on defense. He can get sloppy and sometimes his defense is just covering up, whether on the Mm. ropes or in the middle of the ring, allowing the other guy to get work done while Jose is looking for a spot to counter, but not always taking a shot and trying to throw that counter. Um, Torres, he's one nine straight, but uh, channeling Teddy Atlas, I ask, against two, Against two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not bad. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Add it to the list of uh, passable yeah, yeah. impressions. Um, yeah. He's he, he's tall and skinny, Torres is. He fights tall. He's not terribly graceful, uh, a little bit awkward. This feels to me like a triumphant homecoming slash return fight for Jose Benavidez. Uh, Torres's one KO loss came in the second round. He got dropped with a sudden right hand and couldn't get his legs back, got up wobbly, and the ref stopped it, perhaps a tad fast, but still. Um, I see Jose Benavidez, unless he's completely covered in rust, winning this fight by knockout. I think it's fairly safe matchmaking. I think it happens a little more quickly than you're predicting. I will say
1: KO6. Okay. Um, A couple other major cards to recap and preview. First of all, let's look back to Friday night and stay in Las Vegas, uh, where Michaela Mayer scored a unanimous decision win over Maiva Amadouche to retain her super featherweight titles. Eric, you watched that. What did you take away from it? Uh,
0: first thing great fight it really was a thriller non-stop action they came at each other with that Hagler Hearns round one mentality most rounds they just ran across the ring and started slugging away um, if Fury Wilder 3 has fight of the year wrapped up uh, well this has got to be the clear leader for female fight of the year hmm. and if you're going to make a case for keeping two minute rounds it's fights like this they, they fly hmm. by and the women don't have to pace themselves as much that said, the scorecards were a disgrace. Um, maybe not 98-92. That was within the bounds of reason. Still a little wide. I saw it 97-93, but that's fine. 99-91 and 100-90. to 90, Those were such an insult to Amadouche. This was a close, hard-fought, competitive fight. And those scorecards tell Amadou she may as well have stayed home. She was never going to have a chance to uh. win. It's just insulting. And we'll forget about it because the right fighter won. And you'll look at BoxRec a year or two from now and see those scores and forget the details and uh. assume Michaela Mayer kicked her ass and gave her a boxing lesson or something. It gets me riled up. So so maybe it's best to shift from uh, serious Raskin to unserious Raskin. I assume some of the listeners prefer the latter. Um, let me give you <laughs> a quick uh, scary peek into how my brain works, Kieran. Okay. At various times during the fight, the broadcasters put the fighters' names together to define the pairing. Mayor Amadouche. And here I am thinking, Mayor Amadouche, that sounds like a great South Park character. Let's go to City <laughs> Hall now where Mayor Amadouche is speaking. Right? I don't know what to tell you, Karen. Uh, I, I have a sickness, I can't be helped. Uh, yeah. this is this is this is where my brain goes sometimes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um looking ahead to this coming Saturday, there is one non-showtime fight worth noting from the Honda Center in Anaheim, California and streaming on DAZN. Jaime Munguia takes on Gabriel Rosado over 12 rounds at middleweight. Munguia is 37 and 0 with 30 knockouts. Rosado, 26-13-1 with 15 KOs. Kieran, you touched on this a couple of weeks ago, but what are you expecting from this
1: matchup? Well, as I mentioned last time, on one level, I'm a little nervous about this fight. Um, Jaime Mongear is strong. Um, he's improved his boxing ability since he moved up to middleweight, and, and he consequently can't just overpower opponents the way he was doing at 154. But even so, his strength is his strength. Um and theoretically, uh, facing a young, strong, undefeated foe like Munguia is not what Gabe Rosado needs. Mm-hmm. But, again, you got to give it to him. You know, he nearly pulled out the late win against Mike He pushed Daniel Jacobs incredibly hard. And then he had that come-from-behind knockout win against Pektami Melikusev. Gabe Rosado deserves to be here. Um, that said, you look at kind of the quality of opposition that Munguia's been steamrolling, and he's upped it quite a bit. You know, Camille Zarametta was an impressive win. Toriano Johnson was a good win. You know, you fancy both of those guys, I think, over Rosado. Uh, look, Gable put forth a tremendous effort, as Gabe always does. But I just don't think he has what it takes to exploit Munguia's holes. And Munguia does still have holes in his game. But he might occasionally find the right opening, but I just don't think he can do that consistently enough. I think it might end up being a bit of a beating for mm. um, the second half of this fight. And, and unfortunately, Rosado's tough enough that he'll hang in there a while um, and maybe even make it to the end. Uh, it'll be an entertaining fight initially, but I think it'll be a bit one-sided and a bit unpleasant down the stretch, personally.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I could certainly see that. It's just so unusual to have a fight that we would have decried as disgusting and dangerous a year yes. ago, and now it feels like a perfectly fine fight to make. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping we don't see something on Saturday night that makes us say, that was disgusting, they never should have made that fight. But
1: uh, as as yeah. you say, it's possible that's the way it's going to kind of go. Yep. Also, it's also possible that Gabriel Rosado will make us hear our words again, which he's been doing fairly yep. consistently. so. Yep. Um, all right. Time for
0: this week's news. And the main event is a change in the main event for the Showtime pay-per-view on December 5th. That main event had been scheduled to pit Javante Davis against Raleigh Romero, a fight that we weren't overly high on in terms of its competitiveness, but... Now, that's no longer happening, not because of concerns about competitiveness, but because of some very serious allegations against Romero. Several women have come forward to accuse Romero of sexual assault, at least one of whom has lodged an official complaint. This blew up in the last week or so, and Steven Espinoza immediately made clear that this was not a subject Showtime was going to sweep under the carpet. And indeed, after just a few days, Showtime announced that Romero would not be on the card, a move that Romero himself while professing innocence, agreed with in a post on social media. His replacement will be Isak Cruz, but we'll have plenty of time to discuss that new matchup and the boxing side of things. For now, Kieran, did Showtime make the right decision? Uh, And probably the more challenging question to answer, what is your response to accusations that there's some hypocrisy involved here, given that Davis has himself been caught on camera physically assaulting his former girlfriend?
1: Yeah, Showtime did do the right thing. And I don't think they really have much choice. Um, there are a couple of different considerations here. Look, one is entirely practical. Because one of his accusers made an official complaint, uh, a legal process is presumably now underway. Right. And there's the practical consideration of whether or not Romero would even be available for the fight or the pre-fight buildup. Um, so, so purely putting aside the morals and the ethics of the situation, that's a legitimate practical consideration. The second is you just can't go ahead with an event like this um, when one of your two main eventers is under investigation of multiple sexual assaults or has even been accused of multiple sexual assaults. Not only will the optics be terrible, not only will that angle dominate coverage, it would be absolutely the wrong thing to do to reward somebody in that position. It would be a terrible message to send. And so, you know, any velour clad Trumpers were bleeding about cancel culture. <laughs> shut the fuck up. It's got nothing to do with that. Yeah. Nobody has a no right. It's a million-dollar purses on pay-per-view fight cards. Um, Romero, if this continues along a legal path, will have his day in court. Um, He will have due process. Um, Showtime does not owe him or anyone anything. If it turns out that he's innocent or if the charges can't be made to stick, he's able to continue his career, you know, uh, and will be able to pick it up from there. But. Is there a hypocrisy element here? Look, on one level, yes. Um, look, Javante Davis is very fortunate that that video emerged when there were very few fights because of the pandemic and certainly didn't emerge a few weeks, out, few weeks out from a fight of his own. Right. If we were in this timing and that video had emerged, I think Javante Davis would have to be pulled from that fight. Um, and I think that would happen. Uh, is that hypocritical? The fact that because it happened then, uh, he kind of gets away with it, and we don't really talk about it. Actually, yes, there's an element of hypocrisy there. We, you and I, we talked about it a couple of times on the podcast uh, and about Gervonta's other legal issues. But time has gone, and subsequently we've talked about him primarily as a fighter. Um, is, is there also hypocrisy in that Floyd Mayweather's going to be the promoter of record? Uh, and we know about uh, his history uh, with uh, violence towards women. Yes, uh, there is. Although, again, you know, it should be noted – so first of all, I don't believe that there were any criminal charges with Gervonta with with his uh, uh, assault. Mm -hmm. Floyd was temporarily deprived of his liberty and did have his day in court, was found guilty, went to jail. Again, there's a hypocrisy because he got to make a freaking documentary about it. But – and, you know, you can question how much he suffered. But, yes, I do agree that in boxing – much more than in, say, you know, other sports, say the NFL, we're far, perhaps because we assume that the people that we're working with or focusing on are not necessarily from the highest levels of society, we're far too ready, I think, to accept or move on from certain behaviors. In boxing, I think you are far more likely to have a scarlet letter on your forehead if you pop for a PED and if you punch a woman, um, but the problem with the kind of a battery, like, well, why are we suspend? Why are we not giving Raleigh the chance when Floyd's the promoter and Javante's got this against him? Is that kind of water battery isn't generally deployed to say, you know what, we should be being much stricter on these other folks? It's it's to try and let Raleigh Romero off, right. um, which is exactly the wrong way. To go, but I do also think what potentially separates Romero here, and again, these are just accusations, right. but there are multiples yep. which suggest that if there is truth behind these accusations, he may be a serial abuser. It isn't a case of rage, which is bad enough. This is an alleged pattern of sexual predation. Again, he may be innocent. If this goes through the legal channels, he will have his day in court. He will have the opportunity to prove himself innocent. Um, but there's plenty enough there now for him, for Showtime to be able to like rescind their invitation to the party in December. With the uh, sort of opening that if things work out, maybe you can come back again. But for now, dude, you don't get to earn you know millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, on our pay-per-view, we're going to move on with somebody else right now. And I think Showtime is not only completely within their rights to do it, but they were absolutely right to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to discuss here. Um, This is a a tough sport to work in, in the sense that you can't have the highest A-plus moral standards and be able to operate in this business. You know, If you disconnected from every boxer accused of anything, every manager, trainer, promoter with a questionable reputation, there's just not a lot left. Um, Don't get me wrong. There are some, there are some great people in this sport, um, but it's just, there, there are a lot of landmines. Um, There are people who were morally opposed to every Floyd Mayweather fight. Um, and, And I don't think they were out of line being morally opposed. Um, and you know it's not just boxing you see it in all sports all walks of life the houston astros cheating scandal aaron Rodgers lying and breaking the nfl's COVID protocols corrupt <laughs> politicians men in hollywood using their powerful positions to abuse people and on and on point being if you'll only work with people in boxing who have nothing suspect in their recent or distant past you'll have a hard time making fights but i agree with you that showtime was 100 correct to draw a line here Maybe it's easy because it's Raleigh Romero. He's not a superstar. Mm -hmm. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's Jared Goff. Uh, You you can afford to walk away from him. I get that. But these allegations are serious and troubling. And as you said, not just a single allegation. And especially last week in the lead up to Canelo plant, this was not a distraction that Showtime needed. No sense dragging it out. Make the cut. Announce the new opponent. Move on. Um, I'm glad Stephen did indeed act swiftly and for what it's worth if these exact same allegations from the same number of women had come out against Tank Davis last week 100% confident he gets pulled also
1: absolutely completely agree um the news undercard this week is much more straightforward and uh less distasteful and mostly concerns the making of fights which is Good. That's what we want to be talking about. Yeah. Um, first of all, Nonito Donaire, who had been <laughs> slated to face fellow Filipino John Real Casemiro earlier this year but withdrew for a number of reasons, including concerns of a PED testing, returns to the ring against Raymond Cabayo on Showtime Championship Boxing on December 11th. Uh, as we mentioned last week, one week after that on December 18th, Jake Paul and Tommy Fury will face off on Showtime Pay Per View. Uh, we know some of the know that some of the undercard is being filled in. We'll see Amanda Serrano again, which is always good. Uh, It appears we may be getting former NBA player Daron Williams against former NFL player Frank Gore. Um, Finally, uh, rest in peace to former light heavyweight Jerry the Bull Martin, who passed away last week at the age of 67. Martin fell short in three attempts at a light heavyweight title, but look at whom he fell short against Matthew Saad Mohammed, Eddie Mustafa Mohammed, and Dwight Mohammed Kawi. That shouldn't even be legal. I mean, that's just so unfair. Um, His most famous win actually came against contender slash convict James Scott. Uh, He had a record of 25 and 7 with 17 KOs. RIP to him. Eric, thoughts and opinions, please.
0: I don't have too much to add on on Jerry the Bull Martin other than to say, rest in peace. He was a little before my time, but undoubtedly a very good fighter stuck in probably the best light heavyweight era ever. Uh, Donera against Gabayo, it's a decent way to draw toward the close of the year, uh, but we love Nonito. You know, we love watching him fight. Gabayo is a reasonable opponent, but, you know— Lousy decisions have consequences, and uh, Gabayo got a gift decision over Emmanuel Rodriguez a year ago, and Uh now he gets this big opportunity against Donaire, and he really shouldn't. So I I have mixed feelings on the fight, much as I love watching Donaire. Uh, So that's my perhaps surprisingly negative-ish take. Uh, Uh Now to finish, though, with a perhaps surprisingly positive-ish take, I don't hate Dron Williams versus Frank Gore. I mean, I do. But in this con- <laughs> in this context, on a Paul Fury card, where right. nobody's BSing you, uh, it's sideshow right. stuff. It's not for the hardcores. In this context, two good athletes whose names I know well, if they want to train seriously and give it a shot, it fits just fine on a card like this. And it's a nice reminder that, to steal from Max Kellerman, boxing is everyone's favorite sport, whether they realize it or not. <laughs> yeah. If, if Deron Williams and Frank Gore are playing golf— nobody's going to want to watch it. If they're going head-to-head on the tennis court or having a race in the swimming pool, nobody is paying one penny to see any of that. But a fight? Some people will be interested because boxing has this innate appeal. And same with MMA, I suppose. Uh, Any kind of fight. uh, It's a a sport you can sell to the masses whether the competitors are good at it or not.
1: Yep, valid.
0: Okay, uh, enough about uh, amateur boxers and sideshow silliness. It's top five assignment time. And it's time to talk about the guy on center stage who is very much not an amateur, but rather is the defining fighter of this era and is headed for the international boxing hall of fame. First ballot, no question. Three years after he retires, I was waiting for the Canelo plant result to give you your next top five challenge. Now that fight is over. And so I give you the most predictable and obvious assignment imaginable. We've done it with other fighters. Now is the time to do it with Canelo. Count down the top five fights that make the Hall of Fame case for Canelo Alvarez. Uh, People should watch these five fights in this specific order of importance to understand why Canelo is an all-time great. Simple as that. Uh, But I'm curious to see what you come up with because, well, I I don't want to spoil next week at all, but I'll just say I think when you look at Canelo's career, you'll see a lot of room for debate over what his best performances and defining fights are.
1: My immediate thought is this is actually going to be a more difficult assignment than one might think, Mm -hmm. Um, partly because he's had so many top-level fights, but of those so many top-level fights, probably relatively few that really stand head and shoulders above the rest, so... uh, yeah, I think that'll be quite an intriguing one, actually. Like, it would be a lot easier to, obviously, to compile a top 20 list of these. This is why you have, have to watch. This uh, is why is going in the Hall of Fame. Separating, right. five, <laughs> separating five from them is, is going to be uh, an interest, interesting challenge. But uh, I accept with enthusiasm, <laughs> sir. Excellent. I was hoping you would. Oh, right that will do it for this week's edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney uh don't forget you can catch a replay of canelo plant along with the benavides brothers doubleheader on showtime championship boxing at 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific this saturday and we'll be back next monday to break down the live fights on that card until then thanks for listening be safe be kind and be well